Charlie said. I take orders for a table without writing anything down. The woman with blue hair, the whitefish, the Scotch drinker, pickerel, and I wouldn't call them you guys. Your style, Chloe said, make it look easy. But you fly to New York to work instead of living there. The traffic, Kelly said. You spend most of your time waiting for it to move. So what? You're sitting in a limo. I like to drive. You could work for Vicky's full-time, make a lot more money. I do okay. Go to parties with movie stars who want to jump you. What's wrong with that? I have to be in love, or think I am. They sipped their Alexanders and smoked their cigarettes, and Chloe said, Hun, I desperately need you. I can't. I have to take my dad to the airport. He's still here, playing the slots all day and giving me advice at dinner. He thinks I should get a new agent. Isn't he a barber? He has time to think about things. Get him a taxi. I want to be sure he makes the flight. My dad drinks. Can't we work around it? I'm talking about three hours, max. By midnight, the old guy's asleep in his chair. He even nods off while we're talking, drops his cigar. I have to watch he doesn't set himself on fire. Not tonight, Kelly said, but then began to let herself give in a little because they were good friends and had been sharing a loft the past couple of years. Kelly saying, if I did go with you sometime, would I have to do anything? She wouldn't mind getting a look at Mr. Paradiso. The way Kelly understood the arrangement, the old man was laying out 5000 a week to have Chloe available, all to himself. It was a lot for not having to do much, almost twice what Kelly made in her underwear. What didn't make sense, Chloe kept saying she was tired of thinking up ways to entertain the old guy, but wouldn't quit, and the five grand a week had nothing to do with it. Chloe had money. She paid cash for the downtown loft with a view of the river. Kelly didn't ask, but had to assume the reason Chloe didn't walk out. She was looking for a big payday when the old man died. His favorite entertainment, Chloe said he loves cheerleaders, live ones with all the cute moves. I've got routines worked out. We stand in front of him, Kelly said, and do cheers. We stand in front of the TV set on each side of the screen while he's watching a University of Michigan football game, a video. He must have a hundred of them, but only games U of M won. Tonight, he wants to watch the 98 Rose Bowl, Michigan and Washington State. He pauses the game while we cheer. I've got little pleated skirts we wear. Tony's idea was to get real Michigan cheerleaders, so he sent Montez to Ann Arbor to see if he could talk a couple of girls into doing it and getting paid, like, once a week. Who's Montez? I told you about him. The houseman? That's Lloyd. They're both black. Montez is Tony's number one. He takes him places, gets things for him. Like what? Like me, off my web page. So Montez tried to get a couple of real cheerleaders to come to the house. He's a cool guy, but could be a pimp in a business suit, and the cheerleaders turned him down. He offered to buy their skirts, got turned down again, and had a couple made to my size. With pleats, maize and blue. In fact, one of the cheers I made up is, Go maize, go blue, where the chicks will go down on you. Tony likes the cheers spiced up. We're Big Ten and we are flirty. Do a double clap twice. When we go down, we go down and dirty. Yay team, Kelly said. You have sweaters with little megaphones on them? It works better topless. Uh-uh, not me. Get somebody else. I've tried. One girl I know who loves to do it is out of town this week. I'm hoping, Chloe said, Tony gets tired of cheerleaders. Or one of these nights he gets excited, you know, his old ticker finally quits, and he goes out with a big grin. I thought you liked him. 
I'm not hoping he dies. It's just that I can't help having mixed feelings about it. You're in his will, Kelly said. Not even if I were a nun. Tony's a widower with three married daughters, grandchildren, and a son who's a prick. The guy scares me to death. Tony wanted to put me in his will, and I said, You know, your son will take me to court after you're gone. He didn't say, or have me fucking killed if he has to. Tony Jr. runs the old man's law firm, all criminal and personal injury. But he's leaving you something, Kelly said. And that's why you don't walk out. Chloe, smoking, nodding, said, He won't tell me what it is, but I think it's a life insurance policy, like one that he's had for years and recently made me the beneficiary. Otherwise, if he just took it out at his age, they'd turn him down. You think it's a lot of money? Well, sure. He said, get a good financial advisor and I could be set for life. I'm thinking it's for around five mil, if it's like enough to retire on. He has the policy? He doesn't want Tony Jr. to know about it. He might have been the beneficiary originally, if that's what it is, insurance. But what else could it be? Where's the policy? In a bank deposit box. You have the key? The box is in Montez Taylor's name. The guy, Kelly said, who looks like a pimp in a business suit, you trust him? What's in the box is mine, not his. Tony dies, Montez will see that I get whatever it is. Why are you making a face? Tony trusts him. He says Montez is like a son to him, even if he is colored. Tony hasn't caught up yet with being politically correct. Montez is a cool guy. Mid-30s, nice-looking. He takes Tony everywhere, all the U of M games. Ten years he's been doing it. Tony says he's leaving Montez the house, since none of his kids want to live in Detroit. It's an Indian village off Jefferson, not far from here. Is it worth much? I'm not sure. If it was in Bloomfield Hills, we'd go for a couple of million easy. He has servants? Maids come in, but they don't stay. I mentioned the houseman, Lloyd. He's not as old as Tony, but he's up there. Lloyd looks like a cross between Uncle Ben on the rice box and Red Fox. He'll say goodnight, and Tony will call to him as he's leaving the room. I'm going to get laid tonight, Lloyd. And Lloyd goes, Be careful you don't hurt yourself, Mr. Paradise. You call him that, Mr. Paradise? When I'm sucking up, Montez and Lloyd have been calling him Mr. Paradise forever. The old guy loves it. Can he, you know, perform? Once in a while, he seems to get off. His specialty is muff diving. Chloe slipped off her sunglasses as she looked at her friend, the catalog model, Hope, and Chloe's blue eyes. I've mentioned you to Tony. I mean that you're fun, you're smart, you're interesting, trustworthy, loyal, Kelly said. Good to your dad. I'll tell you what, Kelly said. If you can put off the cheerleading till tomorrow night, and if I don't have to do it topless... They drove out 94 toward Detroit Metro, snow whirling in the Jetta's headlights, Kelly keeping it close to 60, anxious to get her dad on his flight. Her dad enjoying the ride, talkative, a fifth of vodka in his carry-on, her dad wearing a nylon jacket, a straw hat, and sunglasses. Nine o'clock at night, snowing in April. The dude barber from West Palm who drank and chased women now wanting to know why he wasn't introduced to Chloe, Kelly saying she wasn't around. What'd she do? Takes care of an old man. That don't pay. How she afford to live with you, even going halves? Kelly was tired of being the nice daughter who lived with her nice friend. It's hers. She paid 400000 for it, cash. Jesus, her daddy leave her money? She earned it. She was an escort. A what? A call girl. 
She started at 450 an hour, was featured in Playboy, and her rate jumped to 900 for one hour, plus tip, three grand for all night, and she gave it up to entertain the old man. Jesus Christ, her dad said, with maybe ten bucks in his jeans from the 600 she'd given him, and you didn't introduce me? Chapter 2 Delsa got the call from Richard Harris at home. Six in the morning, barely light out, Delsa in his skivvies and a wool sweater, cold in the house, waiting for the coffee to perk. Harris said the fireman had to secure the place before anybody could go inside, mostly smoke and water damage, windows broken. Delsa said, Who's dead? Three guys in the basement we saw through the window. You go in this pen around back, all mud and dog shit. A pit bull in there is shaking, he's so scared, a pit bull. There's a dog treadmill in the living room, a big screen TV, PlayStation, Xbox, coloring book and crayons, and this rig called a love swing, still in the box. You know what I'm talking about? I've heard of it, Tulsa said. I'll bring the instructions, show you how it works. Just three guys in the house? Yeah, but they don't live there. It's an old duplex two blocks west of Tiger Stadium, an empty building on the corner, and then this house. The woman in the other half is Rosella Munson, 34, medium dark, chunky. She says the guy rents the burned-out flat goes by the name Orlando. Mid-twenties, slim, light shade, wears his hair in rows. Lives here with his girlfriend, Tanisha. Kids? No, but Rosella's got three, none over seven years old. She called the fire department around 4 a.m. and got her kids out. Now she's back there packing a move. The guys in the basement, Delsa said. What are they? I thought at first they brothers. See, the fire was started down there, so parts of them are burned good. Other parts just blistered, you know, like the skin's peeling. But they got tats on them, make them Mexican, some Southwest gang. I asked Rosella, did she see them? No, she minds her own business, but let me know this Orlando sells weed, meaning what we could have here is a busted deal. Didn't sound right. Delsa took time to pour a cup of coffee. They were shot. Stripped and popped in the back of the head, all three, but one of them had a chainsaw taken to him. The chainsaw is still in the basement, scorched, but brand new, the box sitting there. Tech says there's human tissue in the teeth of the saw. No shit. Cut a man into five pieces, I imagine so, but why didn't they finish the job? Do the other two. Delsa said, would you want to? You're covered with the guy's blood? I think after doing one, somebody said, fuck it. But was it Orlando? He's selling weed or he's buying from his source. There's a disagreement. He takes the three guys down to the basement by himself. Makes them strip, shoots them, and then sets his own house on fire. What's wrong with that? Oh, I see what you mean, Harris said. Get next to the neighbor, Delsa said. Rosella Munson. Get her to tell you about the girlfriend, Tanisha. Maybe they like to have coffee. Maybe Tanisha had the kids over to play video games and color. You say there's a coloring book. Richard, get us Tanisha quick as you can. Hold on, Harris said. He was back in less than a minute saying, Two guys from six just arrived, and Manny Reyes from Violent Crimes. Manny might be able to ID the three guys, Delsa said. What do you got for time of death? Harris said, The three ponchos, late last night. They're in and out of rigor. Removal service is on its way. Frank, the M.E. death investigator, it was Val Trabucci, Took his pictures and then laid the dismembered guy back together. I said, what are you doing that for? Val goes, make sure the parts match. Hey, shit, huh? 
Frank Delsa, 38, acting lieutenant of Squad 7, Homicide Section, Detroit Police Department, had been living by himself in this house on the Far East Side since his wife's death. Now almost a year alone, after nine years with Maureen, no children, Maureen herself with the Detroit Police, lieutenant in charge of the sex crimes unit. Married nine years when they decided they'd better start a family if they were going to have one. Maureen, already 40, three years older than Frank, went to see her doctor and was told she had cancer of the uterus. Hardest time for Frank was coming home, walking into the silence of the house. Last night he'd made a run with Sergeant Jackie Michaels, 43, to the Prentice Hotel on Cass. Home to hookers, winos, and crackheads, Jackie said. My neighborhood, Frank, when I was growing up. I might even know the complainant. Some ways, Jackie reminded him of Maureen. They'd been rookies together, working out of the tenth, the black girl and the white girl, close friends, both from the street. Nothing surprised either one. The complainant at the Prentice Hotel was Tammy Marie Mello, white, female, 49, lying on the stairway landing between the fifth and sixth floors. Apparent cause of death, the evidence tech said, a single gunshot wound to the back. Yeah, I remember her from when I was a little girl, Jackie said. Tammy Mello, been selling that big ass of hers all her life. They followed a trail of blood up the stairs and along the hall to 607, where a uniform stood by the open door. Jackie Michaels saying to Delsa, Do you think God like I do they're stupid or stoned or lazy or generally fucked up? The occupant of 607, Leroy Marvin Woody, black male, 63, unemployed bus driver sitting by himself, hunched over, a nearly full half-gallon of five-o'clock gin next to him, ashtray full of cigarette butts, blood on the front of his white T-shirt, seemed in an odd. He didn't respond to Jackie, saying, What'd you kill that woman for, Uncle? She make you mad? Say something mean and you lost your temper? Look at me, Mr. Woody. Tell me what you did with the gun. In the morning, after the call from Harris at the scene of the triple, Delsa had his coffee and got ready for work. The car they gave him to use was a dark blue Chevy Lumina with 115,000 miles on it, a service engine soon light that was always on. He parked on Gratiot, a block from 1300 Beaubien, Detroit Police Headquarters, for the past 80 years. The worn-out nine-story building hemmed in by high-rise wings of the Wayne County Jail, the Frank Murphy Hall of Justice, and a few blocks south against the sky, the Greektown Casino. Most of Homicide was on five. Delsa walked past seven squad room to the end of the hall in the office of his boss, Homicide Inspector Wendell Robinson, a cool guy, 28 years with the Detroit police. Wendell was up on the triple. He'd stopped by the scene on his way in. Frank, it's over by Tiger Stadium, that famous old ballpark of no use to anybody. Wendell had hung.